Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hello, everybody. Good morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night. It makes me so happy that we have so many people across the globe that listen to our podcast. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your submissions. We've had some incredible nominations, as I keep telling people on these podcasts. If you are a person out there who's like, you know what, Tamara, I've done something pretty innovative in my world, big or little, but it's made an impact. Nominate yourself. If you know someone, if you're like, hey, when I think of someone who's just always super creative or super innovative, Jerry comes to mind. Nominate Jerry. The links are all in the show notes. Go to our website, go to the podcast page, and you'll find it. We are so thrilled that we have people from all different perspectives, ages, backgrounds, experiences. And I think each one of them brings a little bit, something a little different to the table. And I I'm always surprised at how much I learn from not just the people that I expect to, but the people that I don't expect to, the people who are so outside my world that I think, what can I learn from them? And sure enough, I'm taking notes through the whole, my own podcast. So here we are. Today is no exception. Mohan, welcome to the show. Tell the world a little bit about who you are and the world that you're in. Oh, thank you, Tamara. It's a real pleasure to meet you. And uh, I can kind of give you a very uh, short summary of who I am. I come from originally from India. And I came actually in 1967. So I'm more American than anybody. <laughs> so, uh, I came as a student to, to Southern California, uh, city Pasadena. And uh, the school is uh, California Institute of Technology, one of the best schools in the world, in my opinion. So I came uh, there and did my studies. And uh, let me kind of walk through my professional in a very briefly uh, three stages. Stage one, I after I got my PhD, I uh, went into work for Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is a NASA center, and uh, did a lot of uh, interplanetary mission-related work. And also, I ended up with the Department of Defense and became a contributor and an architect for GPS. So I believe that is my real contribution to, to the, the mankind. Then the second stage, after that, I went to law school and became a lawyer and been practicing law since then. And I provide more working with startup companies, mid-level, and even large companies in the areas of raising capital, going public, intellectual property. That's the second part of it. And the third part is a real entrepreneur. In the entrepreneur space, I, you know, I've, you know, I've started a lot of companies, many failures, some successes, and I took three companies public. Uh, actually, one more, fourth one, which I'll tell you. The first one is the company called Stamps.com, which, uh, you know, the NASDAQ, and another company, Investnet, in the New York Stock Exchange, another company in London Stock Exchange called Jab, ventures. And uh, so that's a 
the public company IPOs. And then recently, I took SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company, public in the NASDAQ market. And now I am in the process of getting a combination done with the target company. So that's kind of a, my three stages of professional life. So I want to ask you a question about it because I love the way you positioned it. And I just have to say, I'm, all, I'm smiling a little bit when you said stamps.com that, you know, you were part of that because I remember when that came on the scene and how big of a deal it was to take that online and how it very, I think it was really disruptive and revolutionary at the time. And I don't use those words lightly. And maybe that dates myself and how old I am because now it's like, obviously you just get everything online. But I just, I just remember when that happened and going like, whoa, that's online. Like, that's amazing. It was just such a big deal. But, you know, you talked about your life, your career in kind of three stages. I'm curious, if you looked at each of those stages, what your big lesson or learning was along the way? Oh, that's a very good question. I mean, in my kind of looking at things, I learn every day. So learning is, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing, a continuous process. So, but of course, you know, certain learnings are more important than something else. So, which you can make any, even if it is small, but if you can make a mark, like for example, I'll come back to stamps, take a GPS. I think GPS, when I started working on it, I was looking at it as a, it's a weapon system. It's really a weapon because it enforces, reinforces our capability to defend and go offense. So, but it, now it is the most useful thing for anybody, human, everybody has a GPS in their hand. So that's a, that's a pretty good mark, even though of course my contribution may be a little small, but I have kind of worked on it. Stamps.com is actually my, it's not stamps.com company. It is good. But more than that, when I originally started, it's 1992. This is the time when the, the internet is embryonic. And a very, very early, early stage. But I saw the internet is going to be the, the ruling the world or making a mark in the world. And that really prompted me to come up with the technology, which actually is currently being used throughout in the e-commerce world. Every, whether you shop through Amazon, you do, you know, any type of e-commerce activity and the underlying technology I kind of initiated and it is supported by four original patents. So that's, a, I would say that that is more of a, you know, learning process, you, you go after that uh, thing and try to perfect it. That's that. I, I don't know whether I addressed it correctly, but I, that's my, uh, I would approach like that. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm laughing because um, I think those are really important and wow, like what an amazing mark to leave on society and, and things that are a little bit behind the scenes. Like, I don't know that we think about GPS. It doesn't have the, how do I say this? You know, we think about our iPhones, we're like Steve Jobs changed the world. And then we have these things that we use every single day that we don't even give credit to. We don't we, we don't even realize how reliant we are on them until the other day where my cell phone wasn't working, something happened, who knows. And I was so mad because like, how dare it not work for one minute of my entire life? Like, how dare there be a problem? But I didn't have my GPS and I was like, I don't know how to get, like, I, I couldn't get to where I was going. Um, and it's just so funny. It's just so funny how reliant we come on some of those things. And then I was just thinking back to in 1992, I was at UC Berkeley 
And to get my email, I had to go to the math building into the basement to these seven massive computers that they call, they were each named after a national disaster. So it was like tsunami, hurricane, like whatever, earthquake. And that's how I got email. I had to log in on those computers. And nowadays it's like, you know, it's all right here in my hands. And it's just so, like how you were saying that you kind of saw it ahead of time. Exactly. And it just kind of reminded me of all those, like, cause I'm 49, I'm not young, you know, like all those moments that I've had where you go through those transition points. But I think what's really important about what you're saying is not just the fact that you, you feel strongly about having that impact. And that's like, that is so impressive to, to feel it personally and to feel like, Hey, I've made an impact on this world, but also your ability to see a little bit ahead of like, Hey, this is going to go somewhere bigger than even what we're working on today. I mean, is that fair to say? And, And if it is, how do you think about that? What do you look for in things to go, you know what, there's something here? Yeah, I think that's a that's a very interesting point in the sense the, the predicting the future is very difficult. I mean, that's however, there are certain uh, trend which is obvious. So when I was I mean, when, of course, when I came from India to uh, the US, the first computer was in its primitive stage. I don't know. You probably, do, you know, you won't remember you because you were not there. The the computers is a, like a, a, we have to go through almost a day or two before you have these computer cards, if you remember. Yeah. The punch cards, right? That's what my dad told me. He had to go into a room with a punch card. You have, to, you have to put it through and then obviously when you run it, it comes back with errors. Because (laughs) you have to go and redo it. So multiple times and the the computer building is is huge. It's all stacks. And so now everything is like my cell phone is more powerful than that huge uh, uh, buildings of things. So things have changed. However, you can see the, the changes that is happening. So you have to kind of look at where things are going and prepare. Like this, I was telling about 1992 when I applied for this patent, the, the, the internet bit is coming bit by bit. Now it is a huge waterfalls or whatever. It's a huge availability. But, but the trend is there. So similarly, like today, my, my belief is artificial intelligence is going to be the the future. That trend is happening and it's not like 20 years from now. Uh, It is going to happen. It's already started like autonomous vehicles, autonomous navigation. In fact, I I kind of have, (laughs) I coined the word autonomous navigation maybe about 40 years back uh, talking about uh, GPS. In fact, we have GPS, we created autonomous navigation for GPS itself. It's just to to provide accurate uh, navigation to other yeah. people. So that's a so you you can see the trend and come up with that that uh, approach. And sometimes you're right, sometimes you could be wrong. Yeah, I mean I'd say a lot of us were very wrong on a micro level in 2019 when we thought what well, we should be planning for for 2020 <laughs> and that all that all changed kind of overnight, but I but I don't think it negates the macro trends and like where things head long, long term. Um, like that doesn't change AI. In fact, it probably accelerated some things because we needed more virtual, more technology than we did before. Um, do you think, it's kind of an offshoot question, but I'm, I'm curious your opinion. Do you think that we often end up playing catch up or that disruption or change surprises us 
because we really didn't see it coming or because we weren't paying attention to all the little clues around us. Yeah, there are that that some some societies like that. They're always kind of behind. But if you are, uh, you know, technologically motivated and knowledgeable, you are ahead of the game. From a professional point of view or to, from a business point of view, you have to be ahead of the curve to be successful. Otherwise, you will, you know, the others will come and catch up and they will take o- o- over you. So that is something very important in, in technology. You, I mean, not that you being the first in the game. No, this you are the better, <laughs> you know, you could be a, a, somebody coming behind. As a matter of fact, Facebook came after the other company, but they took over and became much better. So it's not the first. Sometimes the first is a, not a good thing also because you do, you have to clean up the whole mess. And But once the road is well paved, the second guy can come much faster and take over. But you have to have that, that outlook, you know, being successful. So I just want to pause a second on what you just said, because I, I think that's interesting, this idea that like sometimes the first is they deal with all the unknown, right? They they stumble, they hit all the traps, they like you said, they clean up the mess. And then the sec- it kind of paves the way for the second guy in some way. So I think if you're in the first mover position, you better know that the second one's coming. Like you don't get first mover for very long. And if you're the second one, hey, you're, you're, it's kind of like if you're if you do road cycling, you draft right off the bike in front of you. It's kind of that same thing, right? Yeah, I had a personal experience of being first. I started a company called uh, Amazing Hits. Amazing Hits. We started, uh, you know, many years ago. It, the the whole idea was uh, I just want. It's a. By the way, this company is a failure. That's the reason I want to. Get. Amazing hits, but the concept was extremely good. Uh, what we were trying to do, uh, have an internet-based music distribution. Uh, but of course, the music is owned by you know, studios or yeah. the companies which own various artists. But they were, at the time, uh, coming up with records, which will have about 12, 14 songs. And the way they will publish it, one or two are the good ones, then about 10 of them or whatever the balance will be kind of second rated. But people have to be, even though you only like one, you still have to buy the whole record. Yeah. So we were suggesting, but we, I actually went and talked to uh, the, the, the big uh, studios, you know, Capital Records, you name everybody actually, Universal, the Warner Brothers, and the whole the whole gang. They were, they thought it's a great idea to distribute on on the net in the in in the you know it's kind of a but the problem was you will only sell the good ones, so they were reluctant if they are if that is being available. And they are not sure whether they can sell the, the ones which are not that popular. So they want they didn't want to be the first. But he, we went and talked to everybody, but they are not really sure they would give us the right to distribute. So Amazing Hits is a right to distribute not only music, how we started, and also videos later on. But video was not ready because the, the, the bandwidth was not there. But music, we could do it. And we had collected quite a bit, but mostly second-rated. Uh, so it, it didn't sustain. But then Steve Jobs came 
obviously he came up with this concept of itunes itunes but it was about 2 year later i mean i was we were still in business but not very successful but then the he could some or other get these things and he's made it he's the second guy because he came and did it so then we had to fold ours we couldn't complete that's a, a real example of the first guy could be the the leader but the second guy makes it better um thank you for sharing that because i do think we always look at so i often don't talk about people like steve jobs and elon musk on the show not because i don't really admire them but because i want people to see how they can innovate you know in, in their own way but i think that this story is such a great reminder that like even steve jobs what he really what his brilliance was actually seeing the opportunity and th- things around him and and make it usable and friendly. I mean that's really what he did. Like if you think about the iPod, the original iPod or the the original computer, the Apple, that was really him going to whatever those lab was at Park Labs in California, right? And seeing this like thing and going, we can commercialize that in a better way. So yeah, I, Steve Jobs is really a, I mean I admire him very much. I yeah. I mean he's a, but he is very natural from in fact he got most of the concept from xerox yeah yeah xerox it's a park labs and xerox that's it yeah xerox had the all the technology and they were but he took it in a way and made it really useful to the to the common man so he's that that transformation so it's so you know go go back to even bill gates microsoft the original operating system he didn't write it he just he got it from a young person but he took it and made it the the most successful companies in the world i think that's a great lesson though for all of us everyday innovators to remember because i think sometimes a lot of us at all different levels and phases in our career i think we get a little stuck on i've got to come up with something new i've got to, it's got to be super innovative and different it's got to be blue skies it's got to be out of the box and the reality is that a lot of the best innovation or that innovative moment isn't the creation it's how you figured out how to mar- take it to market or sell the idea or put put it to use um and that's very and that's a very different a type of innovation but i i think to this conversation just as important as the creation of the idea and just so you know another time i'll tell you about my fitness app idea called stayingfit.com that i secured the url for and started developing the product for in the year 2000 before the gyms wanted to share data and before machines could and it was a flop so <laughs> and, and then other other companies with bigger databases and independent business swept in and took over so <laughs> yeah, original ideas are good that's not the necessary for success success comes as you said it is taking something there and make it more useful to the user they have to think in in with the, the the who is your end user the the user actually tells you what they want and you can shape your product or service you know, you have to make sure that it is useful to them and it is valuable to them then that's the innovation you want to do for example in a businessman is not that going to be that creative or you mean you are you may be able to get a nobel prize in physics but it's not business oriented right right it's right. time is there you can get an idea whichever is there but make it transform into something useful in the daily life 
that becomes success. I feel like that was just the mic drop moment right there. Just make it useful in the daily life. And that's where the innovation is. And what a great, gosh, what a great lesson. So let me flip it for a second to ask you, because you've had such great experience. What's a big challenge you faced and how have you overcome it? Oh, (laughs) challenges are daily. I mean, my life history or my life's journey, there are more challenges than successes. That's the, it's an understatement. But I am an optimist. So optimist in the sense, I see, I mean, I always tell this, there are people half full and half empty, the same half class, but I look at it as half full, meaning I see positive things in, in practically every circumstance. So, you know, learning from bad experience, but you make it better. When, for example, take again stamps.com as an example. You see, the stamps.com, the concept is good. However, there is just no value if USPS, United States Postal Service, doesn't approve it. If they, because they are the, they are, they have the right. Yeah, they're the distribution. They are the, I mean, they are owner of the printing stamps. So my concept is anybody can print stamps using their computer. I mean, of course, they have to be careful, but still that means it's printing money. But the problem is if they say, no, you can't do it. That's the end of the company, end of the story. So it's a binary, whether they approve it or not approve it. So my challenge was I had to get initially capital. So I went and talked to very many venture firms. And these venture firms are, you know, of course, they, they know what they are doing. They thought the concept is good because technology is good. But they see this major obstacle, meaning the USPS, if it doesn't approve, it, it, it's not going to go anywhere. Whereas if you're uh, uh, coming up with a new drug, then of course the drug has no value until FDA approves. But FDA is in the business of approving drugs. So you can kind of, so they will say whether your drug will be approved or not, but you know, if it is right, you will get approved. Whereas USPS has not approved anything for 100 years. (laughs) So so this one uh, didn't seem right because you may not go. So that was a tremendous challenge. But, you know, we went and gave a presentation to the USPS. We talked to them. I mean, this is a good story. I, In fact, this is my book I wrote. Uh, that would be a, a, an interesting experience. That was a tremendous challenge. And I overcame that. I mean, of course, that became a successful company. And, you know, we recently sold stamps.com for $6.6 billion. So it's, it's a good good. Enterprise. Let me ask you just for one insight around how you got them to not, not change your mind, but how you got them to agree. Because to your point, the USPS isn't exactly known for, first of all, they, they weren't up to that point ever working with outside partners, right? They were kind of their own entity and kind of their own ecosystem. And I have a lot of clients and I think people who listen who are in industries where their roadblocks are outside, they're not me to you as my boss. Or even like just finding the money to go to, to, you know, take a product to market. It is literally like outside legislation or companies that, that it's to your point, binary. So what advice do you have for those people who are trying to 
move things forward, but their roadblocks are very, they're big and they're real and they're outside. I, I think that's a very good question. And I get this. That's, that's the, could people ask that question because of this event? Let me tell you what I think. You have to be persistent. You have to have, you have to believe in yourself. Meaning you have to think, yes, this is, can be done. And you have to be able to convince somebody who is the, the gatekeeper or somebody who gives the permission to do or not to do. So that's the, it's a difficult, you can't expect any, you know, you can't say that, okay, I'm going to overcome that. No, but you have to be persistent to go forward. with it. That's the first problem. You have to contact them. So for example, we, we talk, went to the top USPS people and tried to have a, a personal meeting. I mean, so that we can present the, our pitch, you know, the deck and say that to see how it could be valuable to them. It's not valuable to us. It has to be valuable to them. So they gave us uh, uh, Friday, uh, 4 o'clock. Mm, worst time ever. <laughs> One hour meeting at Friday, 4 o'clock. So we all, we have five of us, the, my team, we flew to, uh, we took a red eye, a night flight and reached Washington and uh, stayed in a hotel and took a shower and all. went to the meeting around four o'clock. Because Friday, forget Friday, every day by four, USBS people all go home before. But Friday, it is more because it's a weekend. So I did, I kind of felt this is just for the namesake. They gave us a time. So it won't be any, any useful, but let's just see how, what happens. Uh, when there, uh, there were, in fact, the meeting was, there were about 15 or some people came. So I was pleasantly surprised there are that many people came to the to this so-called initial first briefing because that's just they took us seriously otherwise they wouldn't come you know there is no reason and then the, we started pitching I, I might make it very short went on and went on and they were asking very very critical inquisitive questions really very nice dialogue and nobody left but meeting kept on going five, six, getting close to 7 p.m. And it is unheard of in a government USPS office, people staying that late. So now I knew something is really cooking. This is very good. Then at the, almost at the end, they said, of course, we can't do very much here. Because, uh, the reason is we have to go, there are a lot of procedures. We have to publish it in the uh, uh, federal register so, because it's a government. So then you have to see whether others come into play and all kind of uh, you know bureaucratic stuff need to be done. In addition to that, how do we trust what you're saying is all correct? We have to do an independent uh, evaluation and see whether this technology, what you're talking about, real, because this is printing money. We can't just let anybody print money. So, uh, you know, but they said, we have a professor in Ohio State and we have been working with them on other things, but he's in the cryptography area in this, in this that space. So, you know, we will bring him on, on board and ask him to do a total independent evaluation. And if he says this technology is okay, then we can think about how to go forward. As soon as I heard that, I knew we are in good shape because now not only they are ready to, you know, actually look through, they're ready to pay somebody, third party, 
<laughs> to do the evaluation for us. So that's when I knew this is, I mean, I, I had a lot of confidence in my technology. I mean, there is no, no question about it, but it has to be, you know, independently, like a, a fairness review, you know, making sure everything is done. So that's how I, the reason I'm giving that detail, you have to have a persistence and make sure that the, the what it benefits the, the user, the, the whoever is to give you authority to continue. If you are developing something for a, a customer, you have to somehow or other feel they need you more than you need them. They have to feel that. I mean, make that happen. So your background, your ability, and persistence yeah. are the ingredients to do that. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition. And I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code Tamara. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. So there's three things. I love this story so much. And there's three things that you said in there that I just want to highlight for all of us listening. So one is the persistence. And you're so right. I think we sometimes give up too quickly. When the yes is actually around the corner, we just haven't figured out quite how to get there. The second thing that you said that I think is so important that we often forget, especially when we're pitching an idea and whether that's something big like this partnership to just something small to your boss about the what's in it for them. We think the idea is going to sell itself. And it's been my experience. And in these interviews, what I've found is that the idea never sells itself, right? Even the best idea doesn't win. You got to, the person on the other side of the table needs to know why they're going to benefit from it and how they're going to get value out of it because they've got their own agenda. We all have our own agendas. But there's a third one in there that I, I just want to highlight because 
it's actually really important. And you had said jokingly that the meeting was at 4 p.m. on Friday, which any of us in the in the work world know, like, that's horrible. The chances of anyone showing up is low. The chances of it being canceled are high, right? The chances of anyone caring is low because they're tired. They want to go home. And now you're dealing with government, which is like, it's five o'clock, we're done. So, which is not what happened. But to me, as you were telling that story, I was thinking, what an important lesson in always being prepared and always giving your best because you don't know what's actually happening in the minds of the other people because you haven't met. And it would have been very easy to sandbag the situation and be like, only two of us will go. This is no big deal. We'll just put together a small presentation. It's going to be a Friday at four. Nobody's going to be paying attention. And how many times do we do that to ourselves where we don't put our best foot forward because we assume bad intent on the other side? And sure enough, it turned out everybody was at the meeting. You were there through dinner and it turned out to be the best thing ever. But to me, just a great reminder of always be prepared because you really don't know who you're going to be connecting with and when. So don't assume it's going to be bad because they gave you the 4 p.m. on Friday. I'm going to remember that. That's a that's an accurate uh, summary in the sense it doesn't matter what it is. You have to do your best. You have to give your best because you don't know how how things will turn out. So irrespective of the outcome, you present the best, even the circumstances don't look like. But if you are persistent and you have to have confidence because eventually you will succeed, but it may take some time. I mean, that what you just said, those three components is, is, is extremely important. The value proposition, I just want to give you why it is valuable to them. Actually, in the in the postage industry, people may not know, even though they print uh, and sell, the printing cost, it has to be safeguarded because it's like money, cash, and the distribution cost. All those three things are close to 50%. So there is only, only 50% they get out of the, the, the deal. Whereas when you print your own stamps, they have no cost of printing. They have no safekeeping product. So they get that other 50% as real revenue to them. So there is a tremendous economic advantage for being the, in, in this, this. So that is something they recognized. There is that value. And so I just wanted to let you know that that value proposition was very important to them because it's all, everybody prints their own stamp. And I mean, there is no, even they can reduce the, the, the hard work, the, the various, uh, you know, distributors or postal offices have to, you know, have uh, more people employed and all. So there is a cost associated with that. We are eliminating almost those things. So that uh, that's, that was the real value. You know, when we, they sell $70 billion of stamp, even if they can save $5 billion or $10 billion. That's a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> well, I'm glad you share that because I don't know that I ever thought or understood that from their perspective. I mean, from a consumer, I'm like, yeah, well, it's a hell of a lot easier than going to the grocery store to buy my stamps. And like half the time I forget them. The other day I bought stamps at the grocery store and accidentally threw them away because they're so small. Like, So I, I hadn't thought about it from the UPS, USPS um, perspective. So I'm glad you shared that. Uh I, I just, I want to take a second and say that for everyone listening, like, I hope you hear how incredible this story that Mohan is sharing is around stamps.com and 
because it really is what you did there is incredible. That partnership that you created, the idea itself, the partnership that you created, the ability to get it to go to market. And for the customer at the time, it was a big change in behavior. It was not a small thing back then. And those who are, you know, a little bit younger than us don't, you know, they're not in that place of knowing, like having to go down to the math building into the basement to get email, right? It was a whole different world. So just, I hope that you kind of, if you're listening, you really see the brilliance and the disruption in this. Um, I want to ask you kind of in the more recent time, what's something that you're proud of or a big win that you've had? Okay. I mean, subsequently, I have, you know, I told you about the, the Investnet, which is a financial services company, or the, the, the company which I took public in London, Stock Exchange, which is uh, for raising capital, for investing into other companies. And I just want to share one small story about one of the companies that I invested, uh, I meaning the, the firm invested, uh, is uh, called Aram Auctions. The reason is it's a, it's a, it's an interesting because Aram Auction uh, is a, a Canadian company, by the way. They uh, auction off classic cars, expensive cars. I mean, uh, in fact, I used to be on the board for about five or six years, and every year they they have they have a, all the time they auction in various places, but they in, in Every year in August in Carmel, they have this major auction. So I always go there because just to the rich and famous will come. So you can at least get to see them. And one year they were auctioning off a car, uh, a Mercedes Benz, which was owned by Hitler. And uh, that car is like in a cigar shaped. It's an interesting looking car. Uh, it went for $39 million. So it's a, it's a good. Uh, wow. <laughs> So that just for, but the re, the reason I'm saying is that it was uh, primarily we we were the principal investor in that company. Then later on, that company was sold to uh, Sotheby. Sotheby bought. As uh-huh. a, that makes sense. Know, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a big, big, they continue to do. And if you, anybody of any of your listeners are interested in classic cars, I would recommend them to go to uh, in August time frame in Carmel. It's a beautiful place to vacation. And at the same time, if we can uh, get a car, it'll be fantastic. Perfect. <laughs> it's a perfect story. It's a win-win. <laughs> so uh, the, the new things I'm doing, as I told you, I'm in the currently, of course, I'm also involved in a healthcare technology company. It's called Small uh, Second Opinion Expert. Second Opinion Expert is a primarily a telemedicine company. Telemedicine, meaning I, I, I'm making a prediction here <laughs> again. Prediction being, I think all healthcare services, other than doing a procedure or taking care of any kind of surgery or anything which somebody has to touch you, I mean, touch you meaning open your body or do something, all other type of uh, like a communication, you know, uh, uh, any kind of uh, consultation, everything will be done through telemedicine. Tele is the so many of the, the uh, physician offices will be <laughs> go out of style because you don't need a real office. You you know, generally, if, if, you know, conventionally, what you do, you have to drive to the office. That takes some time. You have to wait for so much time before you see a physician. And then he talks to you maybe 10 minutes, but then you have to come back. The total time expended for seeing a physician, significant. 
But now in the Zoom or a telemedicine environment, if that can be done properly and securely, because there are certain HIPAA requirements, if you do all those things, it's, it's convenient for the patient, convenient for the physician, and the outcome would be much better. So that is going to happen. And we are, we are kind of one of the, I mean, there are many companies doing it, but we are doing it in that, that space. That's a area I'm very much, uh, I think that's the, the, the future uh, in, in that space. And, uh, you know, one more thing that I told you, I'm currently involved in a SPAC, and this SPAC is a, it's a new way of going into uh, getting company go public. Instead of them directly going public, the, there's a two-stage process. It's like the SPAC goes public, then the SPAC management finds the right company, and they demerge them or combine them, and that the new company gets the the public. Uh-huh. So that's the proper uh, process. I mean, I'm in the process of finding that combination done right now. Sorry, if this is a naive question, but does that then allow a c- basket of companies that come together that maybe are smaller to be able to go public on the big exchange they wouldn't have been able to before? It, it, there is uh, there is some truth to that. that. Not exactly that way, but not far from it. The SPAC can only merge with one company. However, but the, you know, this is how lawyers are very creative. What they do, you find that all the small companies on the side, they form a combination among themselves first. Meaning, you know, like they, yeah, yeah. you know, you come, come okay, create a, a, a combination of companies, but then create that one company that merge with the SPAC. So yep. in that I see. Same, but that process has to be done in two stages. So I, I love that you're applying innovation to how do you go public too, because from the outside looking in, right? I have you know a small boutique company, all things considered, like in the grand scheme of company size. And it's so interesting to see, like it just feels like such a big leap to go from like any company size to something that could go public. And so you're kind of creating a bridge in between that allows more companies to leverage that benefit that you get from going public. At the right time, right, of course. Um, so that's really interesting. So I want to take a second to talk about your innovator style because it's so it's interesting to me for me to hear you talk knowing knowing that. So for the audience, you're a collaborative tweaker. So that basically the collaborative is all about pulling disparate people and ideas and experiences together to create whole innovation. So when I hear you talk about all the inventions and pulling these things together, like that's that, right? You take all these pieces and you create the puzzle, the picture that comes together. And the tweaker is all about editing and adjusting and evolving. So it's not about success or failure. Like you said, like the challenges are learning. That's totally a tweaker thing. Like I'm a risk taker. So I'm like, you either failed or you succeeded. It's one or two, right? And tweakers tend to be a little bit more, no, no. If I can just adjust it a little bit, there's something amazing in there. So I keep adjusting and keep adjusting. So the innovation that you bring is whole and optimized, which is really cool. And I'm hearing it a lot in what you're saying about kind of pulling all these kind of disparate things together, but also in our conversation about like finding the opportunity in something that's already existed. So it's interesting to hear kind of that combination when you, th- and, and I just want to say you're, you seem to be very on the front end of, of I don't want to say trends. I feel like they're bigger shifts than just trends and being able to capitalize on those as a collaborative tweaker. When you think about staying innovative in your day-to-day world, h- how do you do it? How do you think about it? Okay. You, you know, in fact, I was telling the other day, uh, the Einstein said, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Einstein because 
one of the smartest people I have known about. Uh, he said, imagination is more important than knowledge. Meaning to me, knowledge is, I, I kind of expanded the knowledge part. Knowledge is uh, into three spheres. You can put the whole knowledge into three spheres. The knowledge, the first sphere, which has a small radius, is what you know. You're, you know, that's in that, whatever it is. The next sphere, it's a little bit bigger. You know what you don't know. That's the next sphere. Then the largest sphere is you don't know what you don't know. So the, the but the, the common thing with connecting everything is the imagination. If you have the right imagination, you can reach that. Any kind of creative imagination is, leads to innovation. So innovation is a result of primarily an imagination, meaning you learn things what you know, and you put your thought into it and see whether you can create creative, innovative thing into that knowledge that brings whatever it outcome is. I want to go to your, your spheres really quick because I love that. And so it's what you know, what you know, you don't know, right? And what you don't know, you don't know, which is huge, right? That's endless. Yes. Um, and don't you find that as you learn new things, the things that were in one bucket one day change to the next and and it adds, sometimes like I feel like when I find out things that I didn't know, like things I know I don't know, but then I find them out. So they go into the no bucket. Then I've added more questions in my don't know bucket. You know, exactly. the, both buckets grows. The knowing bucket always grows. It change. Yeah, change, and then also it. But that, uh, yeah, as you more knowing, you will know more you don't know. Yes, that, that's a natural thing. But that doesn't shrink that. Then I don't know that bucket. Also, I don't know what I don't know. Bucket always is is infinite in the sense you have no idea how the large the bucket is. So yes, but it changes. You're yeah. right. Yeah. And, but I love that about it because you're always learning and you're always growing and, and you really, um, I, I had a colleague of mine present some new concepts to me um, that I had in, in technology space that I didn't even know. I didn't know, didn't even know like that all this was happening. And now it's, it went from don't know, I didn't know to knowing. And I'm like, whoa, like it kind of blew my mind that, so I just, I love it because I, I love that buckets and kind of clarifying that way. Cause I think it gives us a little bit of permission to have all three. And to say we don't have to know everything, because no, you will never know. I mean, that's a if, if anybody thinks they know everything, then something is wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think when kind of trying to be innovative and think differently, knowledge is a curse and a blessing. You know, like sometimes it can be handcuffed, sometimes it can set us free if we know how to use it right. Um, and I think that imagination is key to it. So I think that's great. So uh, the last couple of pieces or the last couple of questions I have for you, one is. Um, what advice do you have to other everyday innovators out there who are looking to really do what you've done, which is kind of innovate, innovate your way through the career and, and make these big impacts on the world? I think they should be open to uh, suggestions or open to ideas, or they should really be, you know, not very much. Some of the people, they're kind of so focused. Focus is important, but they limit uh, artificial boundary. They should really open it up. You see, one of the mistakes, actually, I think Xerox made. Xerox is a very successful company, but Xerox, uh, even though they're, they're, they're the, the best laboratory in the world, 
in fact, the Bay Area, they were you know, doing all kind of uh, research work, but they didn't transform into them. Xerox became, I mean, not, I mean, it's a, I wouldn't say failure, but it is equivalent to failure uh, compared to what happened to Apple. Apple came on, took over basically, and now, but every company will go through the stage if you stagnate. So that innovation has to be a, a continuous process uh, there in, and also seek ideas from outside because it's not everything coming from you. I mean, you meaning I'm, I'm talking about not just individual, even in a, within a company, uh, you need to be have an open mind and look for you know, that, that opportunity to, to continuous innovation. And it's a continuous, just like continuous learning. So learning is never, you can never stop. So just like that innovation has to be continuous. I don't know whether I addressed properly. Yeah, but- no, I love that advice. I mean, and to me, it's it is it's, it's great advice. And it is just a great reminder too, of you need to be open to other people's perspectives and opinions that don't agree with you because there's probably a nugget of wisdom in there. And you can put everything through your own filters. Not every piece of advice is good advice, but you got to be open to hearing it in the first place. Um, I'm a big believer in that. And often I find that people who get me the most riled up or angry or defensive are probably the ones I need to pay the most attention to who actually have the thing I really need to hear. <laughs> I mean, to, to the, 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 it's kind of a, you know, you, you have to find out the everything about your enemy. <laughs> so you need to know. So whatever that you have to take it and make it better or, or friendlier. So yes, you, sh- you should not say, okay, I don't like that person, so I don't want to, I don't want to hear from you. I, that should not be the approach. You want to hear, especially from the other side. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. So my last question for you, since we're, I can't believe we're out of time, is what's one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you? About me? Yeah, like something on the personal side, a hobby, a passion, any of those. Yeah, I mean, you know, my 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 passion is I travel. I travel a lot. The real reason I travel, uh, I mean, find places and enjoy that. But I think it is another learning process. The traveling is the best way to transform me into a better person. That's the reason I travel. I go to places. I mean, of course, I see things, I eat good food or whatever, it's available there. But I think it makes me a more, a better human being. Because that's the, that's the, I mean, I don't know whether people really know about that. And I have, you know, I, I, I try to do things good. Because we are like, for for example, I have a couple of foundations I work with. I have my own foundation. And so I do charity and all. But uh, uh, I, I try to do the right thing. In fact, I'm, I, I don't call myself a religious person, but I read uh, religious scriptures, especially if I come from a Hindu kind of culture. So I read that. As a matter of fact, I, I want to give you a, a, a small, not a story, a fact. I, I give teachings, like a guest teacher to schools, colleges, universities, and all. but generally I enjoy very much teaching to young class. So my friends is a teacher. So she asked me, Mohan, come and, uh, you know, talk about uh, uh, Hindu religion. That was my invited lecture. That's nice. So I went to this fifth grade class and talked about Hindu religion, what they do, what kind of a thing. I mean, you know, it's an interesting. Then one girl stood up and uh, raised her hand and asked a question. I am so 
intrigued by the religion. This is a Catholic school, a, a Christian, very, you know, actually managed Christian school. So she's a very devoted Christian. So she said, I really like this, your Hindu religion. How do you, I convert into Hindu religion? She's a, like, a, maybe she was Aww. like, something yeah. very very interesting then i kind of said oh, that's uh, it's very nice very interesting but do you consider yourself a good christian she said yes i'm very devoted i'm a good christian i follow if you do everything what the christian religion tells you then you are by definition according to hindu religion you are the best hindu so you're already a Hindu. So that you don't need to convert anything. You continue to do what you do and you are a Hindu. So I just gave that kind of a response and everybody was so thrilled. And so what, I, what I'm trying to say is it's, it's just a matter of meeting the, you know, the, the right people. So I believe in certain values. That values have to be, I think it's a, in my opinion, that the answer is kind of a provoking answer in the sense you don't need to become somebody else. Yeah, I like it. You are, and you are the, a good person, and that's what you are to be. Continue well, to be a good person. I love that story. I love it. And um, I think, you know, we traveled a lot as a kid, a lot of internet. We were fortunate to travel internationally a lot too. And uh, I think, aside to your point, from like seeing cool things and, you know, big buildings and, you know, whatever, it gave me so much more empathy and understanding and respect for people who are not like me. And I don't know that I would have had that had I not traveled as much as I had. So. I, 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 I agree with you in that sense. I make a point. Most Americans, uh, those who don't travel, they really don't know what, they're, have, what they have. So that's, that's the, you know, for example, I'll tell you, you know, the emergency service facility, what we have in this country. I mean, it, it doesn't matter where you are. Most of the places, they come to you within seconds, a minute or two minutes, wherever you are. The system is so good, like fire service or ambulance service or any form of emergency service. You go to many parts of the world, it's impossible. See, something we have, I think we should be celebrating. I mean, you can do that if you know, you see when you travel out. So that's something it's very very valuable and there is no comparison no you're so right i mean I, i've seen poverty that would shock what we think of as poverty is it makes it look rich in this country i mean it is and i'm not saying it's not hard at those places when you're here it is but the the difference is drastic drastic yeah, poverty is you have a car you have a refrigerator big screen tv you're still poor <laughs> But whereas real poverty outside is not nothing you can talk, uh, you know. No, it's a whole different. And then I also think it gave me a lot of respect and understanding that, that things aren't weird; they're different. And you know, we look at other things like other rituals or cultures, and we're like, "Well, that's weird," but it's really not weird. It's just different. That's all. And there's a reason for it. it turns out, and and I even this is a whole different conversation we could have, I'm sure. But I even think in this country alone, like people in cities should go spend some time in rural areas, and rural people should spend some time in urban areas, and maybe we wouldn't be fighting so much if we like just spend some time outside our bubbles. <laughs> so. You meet more people and especially people who are not like you or something different, that makes the relationship much, much better. 
it's, uh, it's, uh, I mean, at least that's what I look for when I travel. I travel various parts of the world and I take pictures and hopefully someday I will write something about it. I hope so. So this has been a great interview. Thank you so much for the insight and for the wisdom and for sharing your incredible career with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tamara. It's really, really a, a you know, wonderful joy talking to you. Thanks a lot. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tamara will be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.